This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This week we are joined by coach, lifter, musician, and legend Jim Wendler. Jim was nice enough to indulge us for a lengthy conversation about his training ethos and its origins. We discuss the culture of sports and how unique the team dynamic really is. And Jim appropriately makes note of, and I'm paraphrasing here, how the people outside the culture try to dictate how the culture should behave. After some football reminiscing, we have to explain to Jim just how an up-down is really called a burpee now, and that people actually voluntarily do them for conditioning. His response, of course, is priceless. If you're like me, you're probably wondering what Jim thinks about the popularity of the now widely used 531 method. Find out what he really thinks about the implementation, and how he navigates questions like, can you 531 wall balls? Finally, hear what's new with Jim and what is on his agenda for 2015. Get your pencil and paper ready to jot down some of the most quotable Wendlerisms, including this one. Quote, most of your problems could be solved if you just took a shit and thought about it for 10 seconds. Yep, that and much more to come on Power Athlete Radio. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? It's time Power Athlete Radio, in effect, we got the Power Athlete coaches, John, Luke, Tex, and Callie, and today we have special guest, Mr. Jim Wendler. We're not worthy. (laughs) John, you and uh, and Jim have some history. Yeah, we went to different high schools together. Um, we, uh, no, I, I, I met Jim about four years ago. Um, we were connected with, uh, our other favorite guest, Mark Ripto and, you know, Rip kept talking about, uh, oh, Jim Wendler, how great he was. And I had to meet him. So when I went out to Westside Barbell, uh, for, uh, you know, when Louie was starting his certification, he called me up and wanted us to go out there. So I drug Nate to go with me because uh, I figured Nate would be like, I could just throw him to uh, the guys at West side. They'd probably just share him like, like a, you know, like a young criminal coming into the pen for the first time. So I brought Nate with him or with me. And then I was able to connect with Jim. I mean, he lived about, what about a 45 minutes hour outside Columbus. And uh, he drove yeah. in we had dinner and a bunch of drinks and he, he uh, slipped Nate a roofie and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> Cocky history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shit got a little weird. I mean, Nate was okay with it. He still won't talk about it, but you know what? Fuck it. He had a great experience. You're still so. paying for his therapy, right? Uh, yeah, well, you know. But you know it, no, it, it was it was cool to to connect with him, and ever since then we've been, uh, you know, uh, we would bullshit back and forth, but since Jim just had another kid and I had twins, it seems like all of a sudden I was like, dude, it's been like three or four years since we really, uh, since I've seen him, so it's just a trip out time flies. I don't know if you remember this, John, but I have to we were having dinner. Some guy went up to you and asked you if you played football or something. I don't remember what it was. And you lied and said you went to so-and-so college or high school. And I don't, it was the college, I think. He's like, holy shit, dude, I went there too. 
was like, once again, I fucking get caught in the lie. Amazing. I, I, I think he also asked us, he's like, hey, do you guys lift weights? Yeah, I always. Like, uh, you, like, I remember the look on Jim's face as he just, like, turned his head and, like, gave him the fucking Spock eyebrow. I was like, oh, this is going to get What did you madness. tell, what college did you say? Like, I went, I played football yeah, in Oxford. I'm, I'm pretty sure I used that same line. He's like, hey, how do you guys know each other? I'm like, we went to different high schools together. And he's like, oh, yeah, what high school? And I was like. Uh, Some I, random, yeah, like, just, uh, yeah, I was Lee. like, uh, yeah, Martin Luther Eastern. King, yeah. Eastern College, I mean, high school of South, uh, South yeah. you know. <laughs> and a uh, guy like, oh, I went there too, and we're like, mother of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then I think his next question was, uh, do you guys CrossFit? And Jim was like, well, yeah, I was, you know, won the CrossFit games in, in 1984. So. I remember that. I remember those games. <laughs> So, uh, Jim, what was your first impression of John? Uh, well, he's fucking huge. <laughs> That's my first. You know what the funny thing is? Is you get out of football a little bit, and uh, you miss the camaraderie. Not so much the the sense of humor, because no one gets it. You know, with the remember the who was that guy from the Dolphins who got uh, Richie Incognito? Yeah. And people are like, ah, oh, can you believe that shit goes on? And I was like, holy, that's all day, every day. And they, they act like it, like they have a right to know what goes on in the locker room. Like, the, the, you know, the media has the right to police that shit. And it drove me bananas. But that's, it was like that. It was because I felt like I was back at home again. Because you say stuff, if it's not even like 50% of the shit that goes on in the locker room, you can't say it's 99%. And uh, yeah. when the incognito thing came out, I can't believe people were so surprised. I was like, dude, that's been going around like since you're in junior high. That's just the way it is. Well, of course, kind of I love when people outside, yeah, outside of the culture try to tell you what your culture should be like. No, well, it's like a rite of passage. Like, like yeah. part of playing football is like there's like this uh, kind of ball busting mentality, and like the best is he's like he's like, hey, I'm gonna fuck your sister and your mother, and uh, hey, what time are we working out tomorrow? Yeah. And people were like, oh, if he would have said that to me, I'm like. It's, it means you're in. I mean, you know, you can do. It's like when a coach stops yelling at you. That's when you got to worry. <laughs> you stop busting your balls. You're like, ah, oh, Christ. You know, did I find my weird porn? And well, it's good to see it's translated to the uh, the work scenario. Yeah, because every every <laughs> once in a while we'll get a compliment from John. I'm like, and I don't like. Are we? Yeah, we're fired. Are we fired? <laughs> I was like, no, you guys have done a. Well, I mean, you know, like it's like, hey guys, um, you know, I want you to go outside, brush your teeth with a forty-five, and uh, come back with a big hole in your fucking head. Uh, go. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean that that's just kind of the culture you grow up in, and I think, um, you know, like definitely when you get out of it, like people necessarily aren't ready for it, so you got to kind of tone it down, and then all of a sudden you have a couple drinks, and you it's like running into your old buddies or something, yeah. and next thing you know, you're just fucking busting balls. So. What's interesting too is you can see this in you know you. <clears throat> Just in my aspect, you know, I grew up, my dad was a coach, and I grew up playing sports my whole life, and there is no bullshitting, at least not with the coaches I dealt with my whole life. You know, it's pretty black and white. They tell you exactly how it is. And if you do that on the Internet, you're a dick. You know, if someone says, ah, oh, this and that, you're like, quit fucking complaining, dude. Sack it up and fucking get out there and do what you need to do. And then they, you know, and then they get mad at you because they think you're being mean. But, John, you tell me, I mean, how many times has a coach coddled you at all? That's just how you grow up. Um, I, I told these guys when I was a freshman in college, uh, I was sitting in a meeting, and the coach walked in, and he was pretty upset. We could tell us, my offensive line coach. And he, uh, like, brought in a dictionary. He set his stuff down. He was kind of, like, pacing back and forth, which wasn't good. And we're all kind of, like, sitting there a little nervous, like, what the fuck's going to happen? He picks up the dictionary, and, uh, I mean, like, a big Webster's dictionary, and there's a guy sitting – five, six, seven feet from him, 
he takes the dictionary and literally throws it as hard as he can like a frisbee at the guy's fucking head. And the guy, like, bails out of the way. The fucking dictionary goes through the wall, dents the wall. And, like, everybody, like, kind of stops. And he's, like, um, starts screaming. He's, like, you know, uh, if you want fucking sympathy in this room, it's in the dictionary right between shit and syphilis. (laughs) And started fucking yelling at the guy. And, uh, like, and the next thing out of his mouth was, I'm going to tear off your fucking balls so you can't reproduce to poison the world with this fucking level of play so that nobody else will play this poorly. The most surprising part is that there was a dictionary in that room with a bunch of... Well, yeah, nobody ever opened it because, you know what, between, I mean, shit and syphilis, I mean, nobody even knew what syphilis was. I mean, everybody knew what shit was. Dude, that's a a line from The Breakfast Club. Remember that? That's what freaking Vernon told Bender. It's between shit and syphilis. They stole that from Tom Cable. Yeah, that was so. Oh, that's this, this is uh, yeah, same Tom Cable who ended up going on to be the Oakland Raiders coach as offensive lineman or offensive line coach and the writer for, the for Breakfast Club for, for the Seahawks. Uh, he is uh, he's a bad dude, but I mean that was kind of like one of those deals where you know in college it's a little bit different because uh, you have a scholarship like they really can't fire you; they'll just like fucking hate on you until you quit. Where in the yeah. NFL, like I was sitting in a meeting where a, a guy. Uh, fucking fucked up a block, a young guy, and made an excuse, and the coach looked at his watch and was like, you know what, um, I want you to go up see the general manager, uh, take your playbook, I don't ever want to fucking see your face again. And that guy's job is over. And, uh, you know, but that's the cold, hard world of the real world, but, you know, Jim gets on the inter- on the internet and calls somebody like, hey, why don't you fucking man up and do something, and next thing you know, he's an asshole. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know, I don't know if it's more of it phrased, uh, <clears throat> Or if it's more of a sign of the times, maybe things have changed. I don't know. I don't know what it's like coaching anymore either. You know, I don't, you know, who the fuck knows. But uh, it's funny. It's it's just a totally different uh, way I was raised. I think maybe a lot of us were raised. Uh, You know, know, I always tell people that if I won the Heisman Trophy in the lottery in the same day, my dad would barely break a smile, you know. He's just like, that's, well, you should have fucking done it. Like, what? <laughs> well, it's it's the idea that there was like this kind of like kind and gentle, uh, like, you know, kind of gentle didn't necessarily exist. And it seems like today, like people are, you know, from the comfort of their basements or their garage, they can like comfortably get involved in this thing. And uh, people are fucking sensitive. Dude, well, so. yeah. And the thing is, too, like if you want to insert yourself into a sport culture, um, you're not going to you're probably not going to get coddled, you know, and you shouldn't expect to get coddled if you want to stay on the fringe and, you know, on the outskirts and work within like some other discipline and you want to be good at something else, then you might be coddled and you might be treated differently, but that's just not how competition works. Uh, Jim, I remember reading an article you wrote uh, called The Walk-On. So I think this conversation ties well into that. Can you kind of say from your perspective, how do you break into that mold from the outside? Well, I mean, it's, you know, understand that I was, playing football all the way up until then too. You know, I went when I before I walked on in Arizona, I obviously played in high school and I went to the Air Force Academy. So I was already part of the culture. But you know, the walk on article was the hardest thing I've ever had to do emotionally. And you know, John, obviously you were you were a scholarship athlete, you played in pros. He comes from a little different mindset, but uh, you know when you you know John will back it up as you know as a walk on until you've you know, John can earn his stripes, so to say, maybe his freshman year. You know, if he keeps his mouth shut, gets in a couple fights, and uh, you know, finish off a keg by himself. 
that's pretty good. As a walk-on, you got to earn your stripes for three or four years before anyone really, you know, even the coaches don't really accept you because you're not one of their guys. But the, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of points. In fact, my wife and I were just talking about that article about you know how coaches always tell you football is like life, and you're like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to be letting splints my whole fucking life, you know, doing up downs because I missed a block. Uh, but the one thing I learned is, well, one of the many things is, and this maybe doesn't really tie into the question is, you know, if you're the starting quarterback, if you're Johnny Manziel, you, you're treated differently and you should be treated differently than the, the guy who sucks like me because you offer something. You have worth. And people think that if they don't have worth, they should be treated exactly the same. Well, you don't. And that's just part of life. That's just the way it is, whether you like it or not. I learned that really early. You know, if I'm late to a meeting, I'm, I'm booted. Like John said, if that guy made a, you know, the, the young kid you were talking about who made the, who bitched about the uh, missing the block, you know, if that's uh, Tony Vaselli, the coach is like, well, you probably had a hell of a reason, Tony, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just the way it is. And I, you learn very quickly that you have to earn it. You have to earn the right to get to, <laughs> to be part of something. You have to earn the right to get a little respect. It's not given and it should never be given. I don't care what anyone says. Two things. One, uh, Jim, you just dated yourself because um, I'm probably one of the only people sitting here that actually knows who Tony Baselli is in that reference. So, so no, one, I found the best uh, left tackle I could think of, and obviously Baselli is, you know, besides maybe Munoz, I guess. He he was, uh, uh, but Baselli was my host on a recruiting trip to USC. Oh, okay. And what's and, up? Uh, Dude, he had the smallest shoulder pads in the NFL. You notice that? Yeah, no, they they were tiny, and uh, I always wondered if that contributed to all the shoulder problems. <laughs> But yeah, was, yeah. I mean, that, that dude was just—I mean, his reach was unbelievable. I remember seeing him play and just uh, his hips, just marvel. It, it was crazy. I'm like, like his shoulders were probably 50 inches, and his waist was probably like uh, like a 48. But he wasn't fat. He just had—he was so wide. It was crazy. I remember like looking at this dude and being like, "This guy looks like a milk carton with long arms." And uh, yeah, he was like, he, yeah. a great discus thrower with those arms and that kind of build. Yeah, he was he was a beast. And uh, the other thing too is uh, up downs are now are, are now called burpees. Oh, and and they've gone from being a punishment tool to a conditioning tool, which something inherently fucking destroys me every day. That I'm like people. Someone asked me if I do up downs or if I recommend them, and I, I just had this horrible flashback. It was like a Holocaust victim, you know, like oh no, you know I didn't miss the fucking block, and I didn't oh. And it's funny because we did, I've never, you know how your coaches all get together after a practice or a game and they all get mad at you, even if you win, if you win by too much, they need to bring you back. We did something like 225 up-downs on a Sunday practice, you know, the day after the game. I got into a fight in training camp in college and uh, Tom Cable, uh, we weren't supposed to fight and I was like one-on-one pass pro and like this fucking Actually, I think it was a walk-on defensive lineman beat one of our, our starting left guard, and I was playing right tackle. And uh, I fucking started yelling at the dude, and he, like, said something to me. So, uh, you know, being the fact that he was a walk-on and he beat our starter, I felt that it was my responsibility to fucking take him down a peg or two, you know. So in one-on-one pass row, as he's walking back, I fucking run and, like, four him in the side of the head and basically fucking beat his ass. And uh, I got thrown out of practice. And um, my punishment was 800 yards of up-downs every five yards. So if for anybody listening doesn't know what an up-down is, you basically get, you're in your full gear, you run, and every five yards on every line marker, you drop down and 
fucking drop, drop your chest to the ground, do a push-up, jump up, and you keep running. And uh, we ended up with 800 yards of up-downs, which was uh, over 100. I did. Yeah. I did. I missed a spring practice one time. I did up-downs for 400, and I had a log roll for 200. <laughs> and See, it was funny because the, the coaches asked me, like, you know, why you never missed a practice. What happened? And the honest to God, I said, I, I fucked up the AM, PM on my <laughs> – my alarm clock, and the coaches, they felt like it was funny because, you know, they got a dish out for punishment, but they talked to me the whole time, like a normal conversation, like I was going to be able to, you know, when you, and they're asking me workout advice. <laughs> you guys should do, uh, what do you, you know, this and that. I'm like, <laughs> Dude, there's something inherently comforting about, uh, you know, wearing all those pads and just fucking slamming yourself into the ground and getting up and running. I remember, uh, yeah, those are... Uh, so Those are good times. You wear that shit like a badge of honor. But uh, yeah, I always laugh, dude. Like you know, like you know, people talk about like burpees and they're doing them, and I'm like, oh god. I'm like the fact that like people voluntarily do those and use those yeah. conditioning exercise. I'm like, or I'm like every every guy that ever played fucking football in their life is like, like <laughs> throwing up a little in your mouth. It's one of those things that uh, whoever enjoys up downs didn't play sports. That's just the way it is. <laughs> That's like an indicator, a litmus test, you know. <laughs> Or you're 5'7 and just really good at them. Yeah, yeah no one, it does, even then. If there was an Olympic event and I was the best ever, I still wouldn't fucking do them. <laughs> so in keep, kind of in keeping with, like, uh, the training, the conditioning, the punishment, I mean, what was your what was your impression now, well, I guess, looking back on your weight room experience and uh, your strength training experience for, uh, your, uh, for college football? Well, I should probably note that when I first started – I started training the summer prior to my eighth grade year, okay? And uh, so I went over to the high school. My dad was a AD at the high school, and I was still in junior high. So I went over there and lifted. He had the key and everything. And during my time there, the first uh, – I had a really good mentor, uh, Darren Llewellyn. And so he showed me basically stuff that, you know, everyone's still kind of discovering today. We did a ton of – uh, box jumps, tons of pl uh, bounding over high hurdles. Um, we always squatted. We did a ton of med ball stuff. So it, by the time I got to college, I was well-versed in what I thought and what is widely considered a fairly well-rounded program. And uh, it's interesting, too, you talk about coaching. Darren didn't say a word to me for the first year, not one word. And I, you know, I tried, you know, I just worked my ass off. And I asked him eventually why, and he said, well, because you got to earn the right to fucking talk. You know, I'm not going to waste my breath on some guy who's just a, you know, fly-by-night athlete. So, uh, but that's another whole story. By the time I got to college, you know, I thought I had a pretty good base. But things are a little bit different now. Things are much more structured in college football. When I was playing, I was very lucky. My strength coach in college, because I had such a love of strength training, that's all I've ever wanted to do, was he, as long as I operated within some reasonable bounds, he let me experiment. So that's a lot of shit went down that I, you know, fucked up or got to try. And he was full, you know, 100% supportive. And because he knew that he, as, I don't know, John, you probably can understand this is, you know, a lot of guys don't want to lift weights, you know. No, very few. So then you get an athlete come in there who's fucking gung-ho, not just about lifting, but about learning about lifting, about the little stuff. It's one thing to be like, yeah, I like lifting weights. It's one thing to want to be like. A, a master of it, of everything. And so he was more than open to, you know, to 
me doing some other shit that, you know, maybe he didn't program and I'd run it by him. And, and he said, dude, you, you know, you got to learn how to train yourself. You're going to have to learn how to experiment. And now's the time. So uh, I was very was this, fortunate. Was this in Arizona? Yeah, this is in Arizona. Dude, who was, uh, was that like a Desert Storm, Flex Defense, uh, yeah. Rob? Uh, who was that big defensive fucking Rob tackle? Walter, Walter. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you a good story about Rob. I learned a lot. You know, Rob had graduated by then. And he came back. He was playing with the Chiefs, I believe. And I don't know if you've – John, have you ever seen Rob in person? Yeah, I played against him. Okay, he's maybe six foot if he's lucky, right? Yeah, we, we, we used to get him at like 5'10", but he was yeah. easily 275. Yeah, his, and he, I'm not, he was not fat. And his legs, people think they've seen large quads and large ass. Holy shit. And I remember him, he, squat, he came in there and he was squatting. And uh, there must have been six, a little over 600 pounds in the bar. And – Everyone that had already been there and known Rob, everyone shut up. And then some asshole is like, come on, Rob, you can do it. You know, being like an asshole cheerleader. There's nothing worse than a cheerleader in the weight room. And Rob turned around and just sat there and glared at this dude until he shut up. And the whole weight room went silent. He did his set, and that was it. But I learned an important lesson. Like, you know, you don't want to talk about the cheerleaders and rah-rah guys. They're always the weakest dudes with the most to say. And Sounds that, like the internet. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I saw a guy who was focused and who didn't need, you know, 900 pounds of ammonia and didn't need uh, to watch the movie 300, you know, a million times before he fucking lifted or, you know, whatever the hell people do. I don't even know. And well, it's actually the uh, the head through the glass and the spit in the mouth and, you know, the seat at the table that yeah. you got to fucking do. Yeah. That, that's my other, I'm like, dude, if you got to go watch the program and fucking put your head through a piece of glass and do the seat at the table oh, and spit in my mouth. What was that guy's name from the program? What was the Latimer. 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 The best. <laughs> Dude, uh, he, uh, and then I, you know, that was fucking Teddy Bruschi. That was, uh, I mean, yeah. they created that flesh, that whole flex defense. I remember, like, watching that on film and being yeah. like, hey, yeah. th th this year we're going to do it different. We're going to attack the flex. And I remember them saying that. And I remember everybody, like, looking at each other in the meeting and being like, are you fucking insane? Just to give people a point of reference, in 1992, I believe, Arizona played in the Fiesta Bowl. I wasn't there at that time. And they played Miami. Yeah. Miami wasn't the same Miami, but they were still really good. Miami well, didn't cross the, didn't cross the fifty yard line all game. That was uh that was post Jimmy Johnson, but they were still wearing the fucking battle yeah. fatigues and yeah. uh yeah, like that was so yeah. I, 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 I was a freshman in ninety four and then um so like if, that was you know the, like, you know, like, Desert like Storm, I I would be willing to bet Rob Waldrop was the heaviest guy at two seventy five. Yeah. I mean our Teddy was a D end and he played middle linebacker. Uh, with the Patriots, our safety Brandon Sanders maybe 155. Yeah, lucky. And all these guys did was fucking hit, and they had no problem. They, there wouldn't be a guy in the Desert Swarm defense that would, if they played in the NFL, they'd be out a million dollars on hits. I mean, well, for for you guys listening that don't know what it is, uh, they had this defense where they used to play Rob uh, off the line probably about two yards, so it was kind of wacky, and they called it the flex defense. And uh, I guess I, I don't know what the fucking deal was, but those guys brought it, and uh, it was it was kind of crappy. It was crazy to watch because normally you see like a you know a shade, a three technique, a five, whatever up on the line, and then all of a sudden here's this fucking five foot ten, two hundred seventy five pound D tackle that had incredible lateral speed. Yeah, he won the Outland like three feet off the line in a three point. Yeah, he won the Outland Trophy award to give you know it's, he yeah. wasn't a flash in the pan. That whole uh, the funny thing about that defense or that even that whole team 
was they were all guys who had Division One talent but didn't have Division One height or weight. And these guys, it was, it was like taking a bunch of angry kids who didn't get, uh, you know, scholarships other than Arizona, and they all put them on the same team. And they all had a huge chip on their shoulder. And, uh, I mean, Brewski was maybe 240, 250. And even then, that's small for a DN. Yeah, he was a beast in the NFL. They they were smart when they kind of moved him to the outside backer and like let him play in the middle. I mean, he was uh, uh, Teddy could hit and uh, always was. Every time I played against him, I always knew it was fucking big collision. So that dude would fucking yeah. run it for years. But uh, it was it's just a really uh, you know I I was at a tail end. You know, Brewski played his senior year was my first year there, and uh, you know the weird thing is you know Teddy was obviously all American probably two years in a row, and you know I think at the time he tied Derek Brooks for the most sacks ever. I don't know if that's been broken. But to give you an idea, and I, I, Teddy wouldn't recognize me. I was a you know, walk-on freshman. But the dude, you know, I'd go to parties all the time, and I'd see him, and he always knew me by name. And even when he was drafted and, and did well, he'd come back, and he'd always talk, and he was always a cool dude. And honestly, John Fina, who played for the Bills, was the same way. You know, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, no, I, dude, I, I know what John Fina is real well. And uh, another – and you, John knows this well too. Is the there's no one smarter in the world who plays football than offensive linemen, and Fina was no exception. There's just something about you guys that <clears throat> their intelligence. Besides, I would say the quarterback. No one you have to be the smartest uh, playing all line, especially the center. Uh, yeah making all the calls, but... Uh, well, that's what we say. I always joke, uh, the dumbest guys in the field are usually the defensive linemen, and our job is to nearly outsmart them every time we walk up to the line. I mean, dummy calls, fucking stupid shit. I mean... This will be uh, edited, because it has nothing to do with anything. Do you remember the guy at Cal? I think he was a tight end, or a D-end, who was so goddamn big and fast they had him as a gunner on punting. Yeah. John McLaughlin. Did he ever end up playing in the pros? Did he get hurt or something? Yeah, so Johnny Mack was uh, he was at uh, I played in the Shrine game with him in high school. He went to Notre Dame and he was a uh, like a receiver tight end, and they uh, you know 105, 110 pounds played a little D end. They uh, asked him to play outside backer, and he ended up getting up to about 245, 250, but he could still run like a 10, 300. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And then when and, he tra- transferred to Cal, yeah, 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 he he transferred to Cal and was uh, the gunner on our punt team and had still had like his 10-300 speed at like 245 and would fly down and just fucking annihilate people. Yeah, he got for- drafted. And, or he, he got signed like late round draft pick. He went in and was like, uh, I want to say he was like a Pro Bowl alternate or made the Pro Bowl like either his first or second year for Tampa Bay. And you're going to love this. He, um, I lived down <laughs> in Tampa at the time, so I used to train with him, and he was actually one of my training partners, oddly enough. And uh, we were supposed to, uh, after practice, he's like, hey, I'm going to go to the beach with these girls. You want to go? And I was like, I, I can't make it today. We're, we're going to do something later. He's like, oh, no problem, dude. He was at the beach, and he was showing off for these broads, like, running and basically, like, hitting the wave and doing flips. And he, uh, when he fucking went over on a wave, I guess he didn't rotate enough or landed on the back of his neck and fucking herniated a disc in his neck on the sandbar. Oh. And ended up getting fucking released and cut, and now I think he's a DJ in Houston, Texas. I I see him on Facebook, and like he's like, yeah, I'm DJing tonight at this place, and I'm like, that dude should have played ten years in the NFL, and like, I mean, he. There's clearly the women's fall for. I would agree. 
Well, he uh, prompting him well, to show off. <laughs> well, like, dude, and, and Jim will co-sign on this because he's he's seen it too from like, uh, you know, like whether you know, like training, football, all this shit that we've been involved in. Your friends that are usually like the best are usually like the most reckless. So mm-hmm. like that, you know, they go out like, and it's like, oh, uh, you know, how did this guy get fucking caught doing 120 in his car with like a gun and a fucking pound of blow? And I'm like. Reckless people. I mean, those are the type of people. Extreme that get personalities. In. Yeah, extreme personalities do extreme shit. Sure. He was. There yeah. was a guy that was very much like. Uh, was it McLaughlin? You said he. Yeah. I won't say what school he went to because. Uh, he was a uh, similar build, probably a little taller, six uh, six, about two sixty, and just shredded fast as fuck, just explosive everything, and. Uh, he was like a black belt and a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, he was absolutely crazy. And he got booted off the team he was on because he, uh, during the spring game, he uh, roundhouse kicked the special teams coach in the head. <laughs> but I'll never forget this. He carried a gun all the time. And remember, this guy's, you know, the physical specimen that no one would ever fuck with, right? And his friend asked him, why, why, why the fuck would you carry a gun? He's like, anyone dumb enough to mess with me is crazy. <laughs> he has a point. Well, uh, we had, uh, you know, uh, another one of my best friends in the world, which is ironic that all the craziest people are usually my best friends. Like, the weirdo sees me, and he's like, what's up? I'm like, we're friends. Uh, was uh, We had Kyle Turley on the podcast, and Kyle is, uh, you know. I've, I remember Kyle. I played against Kyle Turley. Yeah, San Diego State. So, yeah, Kyle uh, and I played together at the Chiefs. We were training partners for years. I mean, I was in his wedding, and um, Kyle was telling the story about him choking out his head head coach. Yeah, that was Uh, awesome. He said the way he phrased it was, so naturally I started choking him out. (laughs) Right? So, yeah, the guy said something, and he's like, and so then I fucking choked him out. Like, what else was I supposed to do? Yeah. And, he was uh, so nonchalant about it. I was it, like, oh, oh it, was, it was great. And uh, you know, and anybody that knows Kyle knows that like that's no bullshit. Like I, I remember when Kyle signed. You know, was like in his. I think I was in my second year. Kyle was in his third. Uh, we were in San Diego for some fucking. You know, uh, like the NFL always has these like guys have golf tournaments. Yeah. Which is like code name for like, hey, let's go play golf and get fucked up and do stupid shit. Spend a lot of money on yeah. a quote unquote charity event. Yeah, yeah. golfing. Yeah, yeah, golfing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like jogging, right? Like, yeah. like, like, I fucking hate golf. Like, uh, golfing is like jogging to me. Like, nobody fucking should golf. Um, but so Kyle and I were in San Diego, and Kyle's like, "Hey, uh, uh, let's go for a ride." So we get in his brand new SC or whatever 600 Mercedes V12 shit, and we get out on the highway, and he's pissed off because the governor shut the car down at 185. <laughs> so we get on the whatever, like the San Diego freeway or whatever we're in San Diego. I forgot what freeway it was. I think it was the, uh, the 805. He fucking stomps on it, and we're like, you know, like 160. I'm like looking over. What's I'm like, the, fuck. Is that a car part at a governor? Yeah. So oh, okay. like the car like wouldn't go over 185, and he's fucking stomping. I'm going, this fucking piece of shit won't go faster than 185. This fucking Jesus like like Christ. like losing his fucking mind that his V12 Mercedes won't do 186 miles an hour. And, he's a spicy um, man. Yeah, he is a he's an angry, angry human. I love Kyle. He's the best. So that that was par for the course. And uh, when Kyle and I played together in in Kansas City, he would drive over and pick me up every morning because um, he needed somebody to talk to him in the morning so he could like get his mind right and not kill somebody at work. You know, he had a lot of anger issues. People want people, you know, the NFL players to be great on the field, but they don't want to know 
or they get mad when they figure out that they're fucking crazy. Right, or what? What's fueling that uh, yeah. that fire? Well, like, they, they can't just walk off the field and like you know, and I I don't know anything what uh, John can experience, and I'm sure people, John can even say, well, I don't even know, you know, even what Emmett Smith or something. But when you walk out onto a stadium for 20 years and there's 100,000 people chanting your name, you're going to have a little bit of an ego. <laughs> no. I, yeah, you know, and people don't understand that. Like, well, when you go to work, does 100,000 people show up and pay 200 bucks a head so they can chant your name? That's an excellent point. No. No, you know? they do not. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's two types of people in football and, uh, uh, like, you know, somebody asked me this once. They were like, "Oh, are you gonna, are you gonna miss all the people, or are you gonna miss all the crowds and all the cheering?" And uh, I got kind of a uh, kind of sad in that. And then I told him, I was like, "You know, um, I never heard the crowd, and I never saw, I, I like never heard the noise." And this is, I, I don't know, maybe it was just the way I'm wired up or the brain or whatever. But from the minute I ran through the tunnel to the end of the game, um, I never heard anything. Everything just sounded silent to me. And I never heard the crowd cheer. I never heard any of that shit. Everything just sounded like a pin, like a quiet, like a pin drop. And um, when they asked me, they were like, "You gonna miss it?" And I'm like, "I never fucking heard it." And <laughs> they were kind of like, kind of gave me. Like, I told them that, and they're like, "How is that possible?" I'm like, "I was so fucking hyper focused on what my task was, and yep. like." I live, and I still to this day have this fear of failure. Like people, like oh, I don't want. I'm like, dude, I fucking wakes me up at the night the thought of failure, and uh, having to walk on a field where you get to prove exactly how good or bad are you every Sunday, seventy fucking times in front of millions of people with your name on the back. Uh, <laughs> like my name, Wellborn, was on the back, so there was no fucking hiding. Like okay. that shit will keep you up at night, and yeah. uh, I just heard the crowd. You know, players today they got to deal with uh, the idiocy of social media. Where you know everyone gets to have an opinion, even if they shouldn't have one, and uh, you know they're that's dealt a whole other hand of talking about fear of failure. Uh, yeah, it's you know the thing is everyone's always had an opinion, but now everyone has a platform where other people somehow value bullshit opinions, and so. I, I just wrote. Uh, I'm writing a book for my sons, and I wrote a section called "How Not to Be an Asshole." <laughs> and, I hope I hope it's a big section. Yeah, well, it's just a whole bunch of them. One of the points was it's you're right, you have every right to have an opinion, but you don't have the right to express it. Because, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I guess here's the thing. If someone asks me a question and then you're going to answer it, but if no one asks you a question, then shut up. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yep. If nobody, if nobody asks you for your opinion, um, in a lot of situations. Yeah, people aren't, think they're way too important. Yeah. No, well, but I mean, uh, hasn't the internet really like given the voice to you know to people? I mean, we you know we, we deal yeah. with this every day, and and like I was thinking like this guy was like, oh, you know, how how did you get your start in training? And I was like, I was just really fortunate that the old power lifter that lived close to us was the U.S. powerlifting coach, and we would go over and lift in his fucking garage, and he trained like Bill Kazmaier and these guys, and I've talked about George Angus. I was just, and his godson was a guy named Tasso Papadakis, and Tasso was like the strongest dude under 16 years old in America. He squatted like 500 for 10 and was just a monster and like played the USC, played fullback and linebacker. His brother played too. And he's on the, he's, he's on a local TV station right here, does some stuff. But, uh, Papadakis. Yeah. The fullback. His yeah. Brother was fullback, right? yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, he was a fullback, and uh, Tasso was so when I was he was a year older than me, and when I was uh you know I started lifting weights as a freshman in high school, and you know got thrown into a program, and it wasn't until that second year when I met him he uh, actually rolled up on me and he's like, hey, you're gonna be my training partner, and I was like, really? This guy's fucking huge, and that's that's who showed me how to lift weights. We would uh, um, we lifted weights at lunch and fifth period, then we'd go play football, or we'd do football practice at sixth period. But the problem was I had class fifth period, and so I was like, uh, he's like, well, this is when we lift weights. I'm like, but I have class. He's like, you're gonna have to get rid of it. So I went in and I uh, ended up having to take zero fucking period, which was started at 7 a.m. So I had to get my mom to drive me and drop me off at fucking 6:45 in the morning, which she wasn't happy about. And she was like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, because I want to lift weights with these guys. And she's like, all right. So I ended up taking zero periods so I could train with these guys. And uh, then I went over and that's, you know, fucking trained at Zangus, trained at this. That's really what got me in my start in lifting weights. And I think, like, you know, we got, at the time I was like, all right, well, I got to get rid of this class. So I went in and I was like, hey, I don't want fit period anymore. And the lady's like, the only way you're not going to get fit period is to get zero period. And I'm like, all right, well, fuck it. That's what we got to do. I, I want to lift weights. And, um, you know, but now it's like, Oh, I don't have enough time. Oh, my class. You know, it's like all these fucking excuses, and I'm always oh, are you like, talking Dude. about stuff on the comments on? Well, just just in general, like everybody always wants an excuse, and like even as like a 15 year old kid, I was like, all right, well, if I just got to wake up an hour earlier and make it fucking happen, I'll make it happen. You know. The interesting thing is, there's, uh, you know, I, someone had remarked after I I wrote the walk on article, or no, I I wrote an article called uh, Mentoring Wendler. And I talked all about Darren, the kid, that guy from high school who was a teacher and coach. And people responded, instead of saying, oh, that's a great story, they said, oh, I would be just like you if I had someone like that. <laughs> and I sat there and said, you know how many kids went through that fucking high school with Darren? And how am I the only one? And part of it is, and I talked about this in the Walker article, you have to be receptive and you have to be ready. You know, the only reason why I got a scholarship at Arizona, there's only one reason was we had on Thursdays before the game, all the guys who were, you know, weren't playing, we called it a scout bowl because the kids from the scout team played. Okay. And all the scholarship kids at that time during this one scout bowl, they all left. They didn't, they didn't think they were, they thought they were too good for it. Okay. And so the, uh, they, the, my offensive, the offensive coordinator at the time, Dino Babers, who's at Bowling Green now, he's a head guy there. Said, all right, Jimmy, fucking strap it up, let's go. I and you guys and John will know when you're playing a scout bowl, you don't pass a lot because you don't have any. There's no timing between the guys. You can't do any side adjusts or anything like that. So you just run the ball. And there's not, there's no teams. They're just offense and defense. So I carried the ball eight thousand times. I'd split my head open, so I looked really like a black metal musician on stage. You know, blood everywhere. And the play, coach's like, dude, you showed up, you gave effort, and I, w- I was ready at the time. I took advantage of that one opportunity I had. That was it. And the same thing with Darren. You know, I worked my – Darren didn't say a fucking word to me. And remember, I'm in eighth grade. Everyone else is in high school. You know, I was, it's very intimidating, but I just kept my head down and trained. And then I earned the right through hard work to – and I was receptive to him, and we, we still stay in contact. He's the only person I really go to for – uh, idea, you know, for bigger stuff outside of training besides my father. But it's funny because, you know, like they'll say something like, well, John, you had that guy. Well, yeah, but I had to make shit happen. How many other guys were part of that? You know, did he, did he, you know, and you just made the sacrifices and did what was necessary because you were, you're, you know, the, <clears throat> it's amazing how, you know, the, the luck, you know, the hardworking people get a lot of luck, you know. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, dude, I, I, you know, I was fortunate. I, um, you know, like uh, Tasso was all world, and uh, you know, Cal High Sports, which was a local sports magazine, wrote a big deal about him, and all these scouts showed up to play. And at the time, I was playing guard, and our tackle was like six eight, like fucking three hundred pounds. And um, all the teams showed up to see him, and they were like, "Well, shit, that guy's pretty good, and this guy's pretty good." And yeah. literally, I was just happened to be around it and uh, went in. I mean, fuck, dude, like you want to talk about like seizing the moment and like you know like I was thinking two things when you were talking like the old proverb like you know when the students ready the master appears which you yeah. know I could have said for years but the other one is is like there's little things that happen in your life and like little conscious unconscious decisions yeah. things that happen that you look back that were so fucking pivotal I mean for me I come in and start as a rookie uh fucking rupture my patellar tendon in my very first NFL start and they took me in at surgery reattached it, told me I'd probably never fucking play football again. And then in the offseason, they signed John Runyon at right tackle, which was the position I started at, to a $10 million fucking deal. And I was like, guess I'm not playing right tackle. <laughs> so I show up at training camp, and I'm like the third string fucking left tackle. I'm like, I'm so far down the depth chart, dude. It was it was like, I was like, how do I go from being a starter to like this? And uh, Runyon ends up tearing a intercostal rib muscle in practice. And so he's out, you know, they're the $10 million guy. They're not going to fucking beat him up. And all of a sudden they were like, uh, they, like they put it as backup who was okay. And like the coach was like, Hey John, didn't you used to play right tackle? And I was like, yeah, I used to play right tackle. Like that's how fucking far down I was. And so they were like, Hey, well, uh, we'll put you in like second string right tackle. I'm like, okay. So then that guy goes out and he ends up, uh, fucking kind of shit in the bed that first week of practice. I ended up working my way in to being the starting right tackle while Runyon was out, and we go to the very first um, preseason game, and we're playing uh, the Cleveland Browns in, a, in preseason. And uh, I don't know if you, you'll remember this guy, but Courtney Brown was there was the number one pick overall. He I, was I blocked Courtney Brown, or more he had the longest arms in the world. He yeah. just put his hand on my helmet. So he uh, he was the first first pick overall in the draft, yeah. uh, left defensive end. And I get to go play against him in the preseason. And I remember walking out there being like, if I can go out there and fucking shut this dude down or go out. I mean, you know, we were only going to play, you know, you know, uh, like for, you know, first, second, maybe at, at longest to the half. And I was like, you know what, they'll keep this guy in. I went out there and uh, fucking raped this dude. I mean, it was his first NFL experience. He wasn't ready. Um, you know, all this shit. But I was like, fuck. So then I come in um, to the locker room. And all the press is fucking all over me. Like, oh, my God, you went out there. He didn't have a tackle. He didn't have an assist. He didn't have a pressure. You fucking pancaked him. They were like, you know, this was a, you know, because the whole world was watching the number one pick overall in his first fucking NFL deal. So then I go out and I get showcased in this. And they asked me, and they were like, are you upset that they signed Runyon to $10 million? I'm like, no, that guy's a fucking beast. He played in the Super Bowl. Like, that was, a, you know, I'd fucking pay him that money. And, like, the next day as I'm, like, walking in, the general manager walks over and he was, like, all he said to me was, like, thanks, you completely diffused the situation that could have got real bad. <laughs> and, and, and he's, like, and just so you know, we had uh, over, I think it was, like, 10 or 12 different teams call to try to trade you, uh, trade for me. So, like, all these teams, like, looked and they were, like, so he's, like, I've been getting phone calls off the, off the ringer um, trying to trade for you. And I was, like, oh, so am I getting traded? He's, like, no. Like, okay. Was so, where's the contract then? Yeah, exactly, right? So then uh, I go to practice that next day, and the guy who was playing left guard for us uh, got fucking blown up in nine on seven. And all of a sudden, uh, Andy Reid goes fucking ape shit. 
and like starts yelling at him. And the next play, he gets fucking. They run the same play, gets blown up. It was like a little like counter tray, and he got fucking lit up by the three technique. Um, he looks over his shoulder, and he's like, "Get the fuck out of there!" And he looks over his shoulder, he's like, "Hey, Wellborn, get in there." I don't know the place. I'm playing right tackle. I don't know left fucking guard. So I go in there, and what do they do? I watch this idiot, fucking uh, good guy, uh, Doug Brzezinski. I watched him run the same play two plays in a row. What do they call? They call the exact same play the third play. And so I'm looking. I already saw what the dude did. So, like, I took a step and uh, fucking just literally just dove as hard as I could, ended up lighting up the three technique, knocking him down. We blow up nine on seven, and uh, we walk over to, like, a one-on-one, like, uh, like a 11-11 pass. Yeah. Dude comes out. He's totally in the tank, gets beat by a swim move. Andy Reid fucking yanks and puts me in. You know, and I've been playing tackle, so it's like once you play tackle, going to guard was cake. And I go out there and end up doing really good, and at the end of that practice, I was a starting left guard. Started there for the next five years, and the guy who was drafted the round ahead of me ended up being my backup for four years. So you never really think, like, these small little things happen, and it's almost like the opportunity presents itself, and you either have an opportunity to do well or not do well. Yeah, and, you know, if you did shitty, you would, would never have remembered anything because it, it wouldn't have led to anything, you know? <laughs> I'm serious. Think about that. No, it's true. And I'm, I'm sure, dude, there's been pivotal shit in your life where at the time you didn't think it would be that important. And, yeah. uh, it'd be, you know, and then all of a sudden years back, you look and you're like, fuck, dude, uh, that was a major, major deal in my life. Thank God I didn't fuck that one up. Yeah, like when I uh, got my wife pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Denny, yeah. Denny, what else we have hey, for Jim? Uh, Jim, you're still bitter about that, huh? <laughs> Two kids, I'm happy, man. Nice. Is uh, Denny still on? Denny, you there? Uh, just to just to pile on that, we often talk about sport is 99% practice, 1% that game time, and you know you forget about the training. So we we always talk about limiting factors and what's going to prevent you from being successful. So it's it's almost like did your training prepare you for that moment? Yes or no, and you have no excuse. Did you do the job? Did you do the work? Did you put it in to take advantage of that opportunity? And the opportunity almost just falls in place because the work is done. It's it's kind of uh, the uh, one of one of the coaches always made uh, made sure the practices were always harder. You know, and the train always. You want to make the train so hard that the game is easy. Yeah, and fun. The shit comes around, and that could be you know it could be anything. You know, you study so hard that by the time you take a test, it's easy. It's in your head. Uh, it can be applied to just about anything. The problem is, is you know. Not a lot of people have the drive and dedication to do, you know, one one or two things right, let alone a bunch of stuff right. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is stuff that, you know you learn a million you know, a million times playing sports. It's funny when you, a lot of people don't play the sports and they can't relate to it. They can't relate to the, uh, the work that goes into a lot of this stuff. You know? Yeah. I- I was listening recently uh, to another podcast with some athletes, and they were talking about, well, how do I how do I know if I'm really passionate about this sport? How do I know which sport you know? to follow? No, it just it picks you. Exactly, and that what the what these guys were saying was that when when it's passion, you don't have a choice. There yeah. is no there is no am I passionate? You you don't have a choice. You do like for instance what John did and say I'm going to zero period at 7 a.m. I don't have a choice. Um, because it just it just happens. So to to over like you know to overthink it is just uh, it's not it's not for you if if that's where you're at. You know it's, it's very it's very funny because I no matter what 
you know, whether it's training or art or painting or writing or whatever the hell you do, I can't relate to people that don't, wouldn't die for what they do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people, I remember reading something, some guys, you know, basically, it was, I can't remember, it was some athlete or something, you know, talked about what he did. And some guy commented and said, man, I wish I could have passion for like that for anything. And I, I don't understand how you, isn't there one thing in your life that's you would do anything for? Yeah. And I just, uh, it's, you know, like people always uh, ask me about music and stuff like that. And they're like, how'd you get into it? I'm like, dude, I, in 1985, man, I heard Celtic Frost Procreation of the Wicked. I've never looked at that's in, it, I didn't like, oh, I like this music. It's like, fuck, that's it. That's what I need. I want the slow. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, even my parents, God bless them, you know, they were always supportive of everything I've done with music and uh, training and football and stuff. And they never dissuaded me. And I see a lot of people. I mean, imagine your kid coming home with shirts that say, I hate God and, you know, <clears throat> you know, bless the Luciferian rites and all this other stuff. And they're like, yeah, you know, that's at least you love it. <laughs> kids being kids. <laughs> Kids being kids. It's better than Taylor Swift. Well, the, the other one, too, which um, uh, kind of trips me out, we run into this all the time, like, you know, like, we'll meet people or whatever, and they're like, hey, you know, I'm getting into this weightlifting thing. And I'll be like, oh, how, how old are you? And they're like, oh, I'm... 35. Yeah, 35 or 40 years old. And I'm like, really? Fuck, that's like, what have you been doing the last 35 years of your life? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like, like, did you play? No, I didn't play sports. I didn't do this. And I'm like, so at like 35 or 40, I'm like, you know what? God bless you. I'm glad you're fucking getting on the train. Uh, like, I, yeah, I mean, I, I remember, you know, fuck, when I told my dad I wanted to lift weights, and I've told you guys this story, but my dad lifted me, and he was like, lift weights? He's like, isn't that just counting to 10 over and over again? That's stupid. What are you ever going to do with that? And I was like, no, dad, I think this lifting weights thing's going to go into something. And he was like, I think the dumb guys lift weights because my dad's, you know, super smart and an attorney and the oh, shit. God. And uh, I remember my dad, um, like years later, uh, I, I think I, uh, after I signed my second contract, I bought my dad a, a twin turbo Porsche. And I remember when I tossed him the keys, I like kind of nodded my head and I was like, yeah, that lifting weights thing, it kind of worked out, huh? And he was like, yeah, I'll uh, gladly say I was wrong on that one. It definitely worked <laughs> out, you know? <laughs> so there was, um, you know, but like you, and like you said, like you start something young and you never know where it's going to blossom into. And um, like, dude, that just so like, and I'm sure you fucking run into it. I mean, part of the thing I was trying to get Callie, I was like, you got to pump Jim for the strangest things that he's heard in relation to 531. <laughs> yeah. So let's say, let's talk about that. Wonder, well, I, the I, most cliche. So, so I had a guy ask me if, if he, like, he's like, hey, are you familiar with uh, Jim's program? I'm like, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we ran it. I've done it. I read his books. I mean, yeah, I know. And they're like, I was uh, I was subbing in four-board bench press for overhead presses. And I was like, oh, yeah, how did it work? He's like, oh, it was great. It worked great. And I was like, <laughs> I was like so I was actually, I was going to text you. I'll be like, hey, Jim, uh, how do you sub in four-board presses? Yeah. I had a dude hit me up about 531, and he was like, I was, uh, do you think it's okay if I sub out a four, uh, bench press off a four-board uh, for overhead presses? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, when I said, uh, whatever you th have thought of, I've already thought of, and the fact that it's not in there is the reason why it's not in there. Uh, we also had a, a guy who claims to take the five, he's taken the 531 into dating. 
where he like looks at it like, hey, I'm gonna hit on five girls, I'm gonna hit on five girls, and then I'm gonna hit on max girls. The next time I'm gonna hit on five girls or three girls, three girls, and then max girls. And then he goes five. I do that in confidence, so, John. Yeah, he he took the five three one approach and used it for dating. Is this guy's name Jean Wellborn with an E? Jean. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so I mean, let, no, I, I, these things are on the internet. It's, it's true if it's, it's on the gotta, internet. It's got to be true. So I'm, I'm sure. I, uh, I had a guy tell me that he wrote it with me. Oh, nice. Yeah. He told you this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, Jimmy, remember we wrote five three one in your in your garage? Yeah, I swear to God. You were I blacked out. I forgot to tell you, some guy sent me a Bible for Christmas, and I am a staunch hater of religion and. God and yeah. that stuff, and yeah, so I it's not the first Bible I've been sent to. Was he trying to save you? Yeah, yeah, they I've got a number of uh religious zealots uh try to save me. No, I don't want to be so go do it. Well, let's get back to this. So, so, so how did the guy write 531 with you? I, <laughs> I don't know. Do I, I mean, you I, you can imagine some of the weird stuff. I've kind of uh. I shut down my public email because I just got the, it became like 10 for every one question. There was like 10 really weird things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I imagine, I imagine a guy bald, maybe in his late fifties, about six foot six behind Jim, hugging him. Like he's teaching him how to play pool, but holding his forearm while he's actually writing, writing the book. book. Whoa, that's, that's hot. That's how I picture uh, it. There's, well, Is that and, weird? And, and if you guys know that it's Jim has actually spawned his own, uh, group of individuals that I like to call Wendlerites. Wendlerites? Um, so you would know Wendlerites based yeah, no. on uh, the internet because they have shaved head, they have a beard, and their whole deal is just telling you how it is. I thought and more those importantly, were like, like being a tough guy and basically like use things, you know, like basically shit that Jim coined in his book and like his whole, you know, his, uh, you know, who he is. These guys like saw the Wendler persona and realized that they could adopt and become a Wendlerite. So they shaved their head, they got a beard, they started training and they started lifting weights. And next thing you know, they're telling you how it is. And, uh, they, yeah. and I, I, cl I classify those guys as Wendlerites. Nothing. I classify them as potentials. I uh, I always get people who say they do Wendler. And, uh, and I was like, you know, my wife doesn't read this because <laughs> dudes are doing me. <laughs> I, I actually what's funny is people are like oh yeah I do Wendler I was like oh yeah do you know Jimmy I was like because you know what the guys that really do them they just call him Jimmy that's how it's like oh, I was like that's a, that's a, <laughs> I was like that's how you go balls deep in Wendler you call him so so let's get to something like seemingly relevant to our to our so, listening base so Jim just, just you know our dynamic is uh when all of a sudden we fucking go off the rails, Callie pulls us it's, back. That's that's my that's my dynamic. That's my role. So, so uh, you know what what do you think about like the popularity of your training system in gyms? And then do you see like any um, any misuse of it? So the interpretation of of the training system and how it's fucked up. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is uh, like I I wrote you know the the book. And then uh, I wrote uh, all the training shit, and I came back and I realized, you know, after I don't know how long I've been training at the time I wrote the book, but, you know, 24 years, I think, or 22 years, something like that. And I came back and I realized the four principles that I believe in, okay? And I couldn't 
those are the only four that I could really put my uh, put my spear down on, you know, and, and say these are mine and take a stand. And I think what happens is people don't understand the simple principles of it, you know, the four things. And when they start doing offshoots of it or, you know, trying to do this and that, uh, it ends, that's when they start fucking it up. Because it's infinitely, like this year, this past two years, I'd say I've written more uh, on the program than I've ever had. I, we've done so many different kind of different things and tweet this and tweet that for whatever reason. You know, people contact me and you know on the forum and stuff like that. Hey, this is my issue, and I try and work it. You know, work it out. Plus, I got some kids here that I work with that are kind of my lab partners. You know, I just kind of figure shit out and do it on them. And but they all are on based on these four principles. And I think what happens is you see people, you know think that they're doing, and that's fine because it's not my program, it's their body and their program, but, you know, there's a reason why I didn't do what they did, like I said this before, you know, because it, it just doesn't work that well, and uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, anytime you, 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 I mean, we can say this with religion, anytime you take a book and give it to people, it's going to get misinterpreted in a number of different ways, and it used to bother me a lot more than it does now, because now, and this sounds really mean, I don't care, I don't. Yeah. Because it's not, I can't control it, and I don't, so what I do is, you know, then I, I've had people try to debate me on stuff, you know, hey, Bubba, this and that, and I'm like, I don't care, because that's, I'm only, I want to help people that want to use the program, that's it, and, uh, you know, a lot of people will say, hey, I made this change, and I'll tell them good or bad, or hey, this is a pretty good idea, I understand your problem, but yeah, there's always going to be a misuse, and you, like I said, it used to bother me, what, I guess what bothers me now is question, and they don't like it until they get the answer they want. Right. That fucking drives me nuts. Absolutely nuts. Does it, do you think the answer is no. they, the answer that a lot of people want is a, they they're looking for a sexy answer? No, the problem is is that people want complicated. If well, that's what I'm saying. If something's yeah. too basic, they can't digest that's it. That's what I'm so, saying. So yeah. it's like this idea, like hey. I'm oh, going to ask you to come in. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, we know percentages don't work, so I'm going to fucking skin away to, like, make the percentages work. Like, take your ego out of it. And you know what? You're going to fucking do this last set to max reps, and next week, you know what? If you fucking got enough, you're going to go up and uh, up yeah. in value. And it's based on this idea of doing a little bit more to, uh, tomorrow than you did yesterday. And, like, fucking go in and, like, lift weights. But, like, it's like, uh, you know, like, we run into this shit all the time. Kelly just did a consult with a guy, and it's like these... Um, you know, like people get so wrapped up in this idea of like, you know, uh, you know, like micro cycles, macro cycles and all this shit. And you're like, dude, just go in with a fucking barbell and lift some fucking weights. What, is... ends up, what ends up happening is there's two things. Is One, I think people think that they're special and they think they need something other than what other people are using or what, you know, maybe not the exact program, but something tried and true. Right. And I think, you know, people think, well, I'm a, I'm a separate case, you know. I'm different, you know, I'm special, and they don't want to think that, the, you know, a stock program or even something that I wrote, wrote for someone specifically, you know, that still has the same principles, you know, oh, that can't be me, because I can't do this, or I don't want to do this, or whatever. Yeah, and you ask the person how long they've like been training, and they're like, two years, I've been training well, yeah, two years. Like, you know, wrote me the other day and said, hey, you know, I've been doing uh, first set last, you know, for some additional volume. I don't think blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, how many years have you done it? Is right. It three weeks. I'm like, well, you know what? You know, I always kind of use uh, 
one of my favorite people is John Gross, and obviously him and I use use completely different programs, different sports, everything. But he does six lifts, and I always tell people, I guess you're better than the world champions, no? So you need twelve lifts, you know, because you're special, right? Yeah. And it's not, you know, what I got from John Bros wasn't you know, maxed out every day or doing this. It was understanding that at the end of the day, it's going to be how much work you put in and how much work you're willing to put in in a smart, consistent way over a long period of time. Consistency. Yeah, it just, uh, and I've, you know, I've, I'm almost 40 now. And uh, you start to look back a little bit and you start to see the reality of the situation and about training. And, you have a lot of people who are so impatient, and I don't. I don't have patience for that, because this is <laughs> this is a long-term journey. Yeah. And if you're looking for the quick out, I'm not going to give it to you, no matter how much you beg me. And I always I have this saying that you know, patient uh, work yields uh, fast progress. And I've, as soon as someone really embraces the program, they always get wrapped up in the training max. There's I just had a guy. He pulled 700. His training max was 495. You do the math on that. The heaviest he pulled, this was in a comp, you know, prior to the competition was 475. But it's the smart, consistent work over a long period of time that will yield results. And uh, it's almost gotten to the point where I'm glad I've written so much that I can just say, read this article. Like, I'm not going to answer this because you need to read it. I, I'm curious about uh, that that scenario. So that that guy who pulled 700. I mean, when he went to compete, um, I mean, what was the approach? Did you did he just know? I mean, I don't know what your relationship is with him, but he did he just know in his in his first like lifts that he was going to smash it? I mean, how do you make a jump from you know four or five hundred pounds to 700 at, comp, at a competition? That's we 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 employ joker sets through some of it. Uh, uh-huh. And then the more uh, experience you get like my good friend Kevin just did a meet he hadn't he did one single at 475 and he squatted 650 he could have easily squatted 700 easily it was his first meet back it's just being smart and understand trusting your training you know, they tell you that all the time in football you gotta trust you know the work that you put in and uh, you know when I f- first developed the program I did it completely selfishly because I, I was tired of thinking about stuff and you know thinking, ah, oh, this, 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 this. And so I just put it in, you know, put some numbers in. And I'd say for three months, I just, and I never, I always pushed the less set at this time, but I never went to failure or anything like that. I just pushed it hard for a PR and I left. And this is in the book. I ended up pulling like my, you know, I lost like 50 pounds or something from when I was competing. I pulled like 610 or 615 for a double or triple. And I don't think I did anything over 440. And I was like, and I started experimenting with some friends, and all, everyone to a T, did very well as long as the training max was below. And that's what, it took me about a year to figure that out. What would you think it's kind of goes back to that compensatory acceleration that, um, because I know you're in the same camp I am, where it's like, hey, dude, I am not impressed by people moving weight slowly. Like every time we touch a barbell, I'm trying to move the next velocity. There's there's two, a couple things. One is you if if you're smart about it, and this is something that needs to be learned over time, that you cut the set off either at a PR or when you know, like, you know, the speed's going to suck. 
and that's but that doesn't apply to everyone because my wife is very slow twitch and her first rep looks like her 18th rep mm -hmm. so it's a little bit different um, but I think what ends up happening is you can train for a long time and not feel burnt out because training you have to understand training isn't about how many buckets of sweat you can get or how many awesome sayings you can put on a t-shirt or what your war you know what your scars are like it's about the whole you know, one year two years three years four years and if you can continue to go into the weight room and feel good rather than feeling wiped out yeah it's training that's just what it is and it's not a dick measuring contest and that's what it ends up being it just I call it myopic trying. They just get so close-minded to everything, and they just—it's about today. And you see it all the time, you, especially with the New Year's thing. Let's just take the regular person, but we can—it can apply to 99% of people who are serious. Is they go in on like a Monday, you know, New Year's after New Year's Eve or whatever, and they train really hard because it's the big thing. And then what happens? They're so goddamn sore that they can't do anything. Okay. And so what ends up happening, then you're just not doing anything. It's, it's pointless training because if you're not lifting, it doesn't matter. So if we can, we've actually come up with a way to manipulate the volume perfectly between medium, light, and heavy with the exact volume that you need for each lift. And it's, this is, we've expended the, expended the 5 through 1 program much farther using this method than I ever thought possible. We're, we're using, uh, we only do, uh, max reps on certain weeks, uh, you know, in a six-week cycle. We've changed all that. So it's really come leaps and bounds over the, the original. Now, having said that, okay, this, I just had my spine fused. I was in a horrible motorcycle accident about three years ago, okay? And uh, the back pain was debilitating to the point where I couldn't walk. Uh, and you don't know what humility is until your wife has to fucking lift the toilet seat up for you, has to dress you in the morning. And I, you know, I still found ways to, to to train and stuff like that. But I still used the original five through one program, and I'm gonna get to why this is important. I live for the, you know, we talk about competing and stuff. I live for that moment when you approach the bar and you don't fucking know, and I'm nervous as shit because I don't like to fail. And so I love that style of training. It's not for everyone. And that's why we've come up with all these different programs. I, I thought everyone wanted to be competitive in the weight room. I thought everyone wanted to break PRs, but I also understand that's not everyone's wired that way. So fast forward to my surgery, okay? I don't know if anyone's had their spine fused, but all the pain went away that the back was causing, except I have a hole in my back. And uh, within hours of the surgery, I stood up, I the doctor, the PT came in and said, well, let's take a walk around and see how you do. And I, I walked for like a half mile. And this is just hours after the surgery. And he's, and the reason why I had that mentality, you know, of setting a PR of going all out was because of that training for so long, for so many years. And so I see how this, you know, I'm getting a little bit older now. You, you start to be a little wiser and more mature, but I see how that style of training is carried over to everything I do. And I understand that maybe it's not the best thing all the time, but it's the best thing for me because it fills emotional and physical need that I, I do. So training isn't just for me about lifting X amount of weight or doing this. It's about the challenge because honestly, after football or after the military, there's no very few people on this in America, especially 
that are challenged themselves physically and mentally to the point where it gets scary. And this is all we got is training. And that's what I feed off of. So it's, it's a little bit bigger than what I think most people, how most people would train. Um, but uh, having said that, that's the more, that's the base of the program. And we train, I train some kids out here. We only train them twice a week. We only do the basic lifts. We do some, uh, we call it first set last stuff to get a little bit more volume in. And we just had a kid yesterday squat 185 for five. Okay. He couldn't, he could barely squat 95 pounds when he came in here. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. This was four months ago. He hasn't used anything on the bar heavier than 145. But we're just consistent and consistent and consistent. We drive the form. We make sure everything's good. We, everything is fast. And, uh, I mean, look what happens. I mean, he's complete. He's, and we're training. He's also in the military. He's going to be uh, an ROTC. He's completely, his attitude in life. I've had teachers. Remember, he's a kid lives down the street. I don't, you know, I live in a normal suburban neighborhood. And I have teachers coming up to me that, you know, I live in a small town. Like his attitude, his demeanor, his walk is completely different now. You have completely changed this kid. And uh, so there's more to train than just, you know, lifting the weight or, you know, trying to get, I don't know, ripped abs or whatever kids do. I don't fucking know. I don't care. But uh, so that, uh, I know I'm kind of going off topic and I apologize. But no, we'll, no, it's all good. Our, that's our whole podcast is just going off the fucking rails. So please, run off the rails. So what ends up happening is I've developed – so much more of the program to be a little smarter. Okay. And that's, we've done a lot of different stuff where we can really manipulate the three, we have six week cycle now. We can completely manipulate volume based on how you feel that week and you can choose a different week. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what we can do. We can even choose days and uh, based on bar speed. And yeah, so it's like auto regulation. So you found a way to basically yeah, auto regulate. You walk in that yeah, day and it's daily like, matrix. well, it's, it's it, it, like, like, like you call it the Joker, dude. I call it the gambler where it's like, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You walk yeah. in and you fucking go for it. And other days you survive. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's 90, training. 90% of your training is going to be surviving or getting just a little bit over for a lot of people. People don't understand it. They think every day is going to be a fucking lottery day. Fuck. You have to train. And you have to you you want to really reach this sense of normalcy in the train that when you do go balls out finally, you have all that built up interest and credit or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. The problem is everyone spends and this is I guess a metaphor for life because no one saves any money. You know the old joke is the only people that save is Jesus. You know, Jesus saves. Uh, but they 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 just throw everything away on each workout and they don't understand the the ramifications of it. You see it with conditioning all the time. I mean, people go apeshit with conditioning. And I'll give you a good example. I push the prowler three times a week, 10 to 12, 10 to 12 trips, okay? And then on my 34th birthday, I pushed it 34 fucking times in the low handles, okay, for 40-yard sprints. I didn't do it once over, you know, 10 to, remember, 10 to 12. I just consistently built myself up. And I, by the time I did the 34 sprints, I got to 10 to 15, and I didn't breathe any harder at 10 to 15 than I did at 30 to 34. And the problem with condition is, and this is kind of going off the rails again, is people understand when you do hard conditioning, I'm not talking about, like, you know, taking a walk or whatever, you know, riding an Airdyne. I love that thing. Stuff like that. When you Me do – <laughs> I love the Airdyne. Yeah. I have a few – The salt bikes are fucking great. 
But, you know, when they do the prowler or hills or shit like that, it, it's as stressful as a workout. And what ends up happening is they don't account for that because they don't, it does, you know, and they go ape shit. You could do, you can, you know, I want to tell everyone, it's okay if you don't throw up after you condition or you don't feel like you're going to die. Yes. Now, when you're yeah. out of shape, there's always going to be that, that thing where you're going to be shitty for a while. But once you get in fairly good shape, you're going to be okay just knocking away a little bit at the, the rock, you, should, you know, the big boulder. And you don't have to always increase it and always increase it. I call it the Iron Mind mentality. You ever read the magazine Iron Mind? Oh, yeah. yeah. All sure. the all the programs in there are like, just add five more pounds a week. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Move the dirt. Dude, you got to – it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And so just if you're consistent with the conditioning, no matter what you're doing, your body will eventually adapt and you'll be okay. But you don't have to kill yourself. Now, I love using the Prowler because it's easy to recover from. But if you load that thing up heavy enough and work your legs, you know, something's going to break on your lifting day, so that needs to be accounted for. You know, I, another thing that drives me bananas is, you know, let's say a person does workout X, whatever workout X is, and then they're like, you know, I'm going to do fucking prowler pushes four days a week. If you're going to add that in, then something's going to have to come out of your weight, out of your weight work yeah. in order for you to maintain or gain strength. But instead, they just keep on building and just putting piling more shit. Mm. You with young kids all the time, right? They bench press, then they read an article about incline, like fucking incline. And then they do dumbbell fly, yeah. dumbbell flies, but they don't take anything out. They just keep pretty soon they're doing thirty movements. It's called the Christmas tree program. You just keep yeah. adding ornaments yeah. to your tree, and then it, yeah. it, it's like, and, and anybody knows this, like when you first move into your house, or you like, you know, you first put up your first Christmas tree, you have like. 10 yeah. ornaments, and then all yeah. of a sudden, like 10 years later, your tree is just like a clusterfuck of humanity. Yeah. And, so uh, this is a like, this is like a pretty um, this is a like it's a topic really close to my heart because I I'm constantly fascinated with why people do that, and my philosophy is that we part of it is that we're such an instant gratification type of culture, and uh, you know we we don't see the long term goals. Instead, we know if X makes us feel good then yes. X to the second power, you know, or X times two is going to make us feel even better. We see it as like this linear thing when it's, when it's really, that's not the way in terms of physiologically speaking, that's not the way our body's going to adapt. That's not, you know, that's not sustainable. And yet we, we still do it. And I don't know if it's because of the feeling of no, being it's strong. Like drinking. If one shot's good, two well, shots, you know, that's a fact. If 10 deep all tabs is good. <laughs> if if you the test is good, two is better. Yeah. Uh, two grams of test. That's maintenance, dude. That's maintenance. <laughs> but the uh, you know the funny thing about uh, lasting cruise. Yeah. <laughs> Going to Tijuana. You were in San Diego. You know how that shit goes. I was in uh, Orange County. Yeah, I live in. Uh, I used to live in Arizona. You know, I know how it goes. Anyway, the uh, the interesting thing about you know we talk about instant gratification, and I I, I mentioned a little bit, you know. Uh, people having thinner skin these days, but I also I, I'm always amazed when if people would actually take a step back and actually think about it for like 10 seconds. I always say most of your problems can be solved if you took a shit and just thought. You know, if you really just thought about it, like, do you really think you know walking up and down a hill with a 45, you know, a bar with 135 isn't going to have some kind of negative effect on your squat workout tomorrow? You know, no, and they, and they always say, well, John Bro squats eight days a week. Well, it took him four years to get there. You know? <laughs> like, and he does nothing else. Yeah, it's just, uh, 
Yeah, those guys do nothing else. I mean, yeah. he doesn't fucking run. He doesn't condition. Yeah. Like, they just fucking squat. No, and that's a... because their fucking job when you Olympic weightlift is and to squat. You know, and there's – I can – I don't know. I, I, one of the questions was asked, you know, what's missing in a lot of, a lot of programs. I'm not exactly sure what it was. But, you know, I – Common I, sense? Yeah. Well, I, I wrote something called a weak point train article. And I approach weak points not from a muscle standpoint. Like, the reason why your bench sucks is because your triceps are weak. <laughs> uh, because if you actually believe in the weak point, that theory, that means it's not a, your, your programming sucks because you should be able to, you know, people are like, I think my lats are weak. Well, what the fuck have you been doing for four years? No rows yeah. and like, like, that shouldn't exist, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the other thing that drives me bananas about that is people ignore their strengths. Dude, I'm, if, if I'm a fast athlete, I'm not going to not not work on my speed. I'm going to work on that and make sure it's just ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people who get mad, like, this guy squatted 900 and he only deadlifted six. Dude, it's just squat 1,000. The way you is to deadlift 600 pounds in total. Yeah, I, I, in, in their minds, they would rather squat 500 and pull 500 than squat 900 and pull 500. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why don't you be a little freakish? But anyway, you know, we talk about I talk about the weak point thing, and what I did was instead of talking about muscles, I talked about I have a ten point system that I for each six week phase we have either consistency or performance goals and ten different things. And for example, a consistency goal would be like I'm going to do the DeFranco Agile Eight three times a day because there's not really a performance goal for stretching. You know, I'm not going to sit and reach on a fucking box. And uh, but even with like diet and supplements and stuff like that. What's your goal? Well, my goal is to consistently eat, you know, one whole chicken a day, you know, and that I think is the, the biggest thing is people just think about the lifting portion when I, you know, we've, there's actually probably a lot of ways you can do this, but I came up with 10 different ways. And what ends up happening is we spent set small, reasonable goals, each of these six week periods. And it doesn't have to be huge. Like, it could be, you know, listen, I'm just going to get all my requisite reps and then I'm going to push this one little exercise that, and that's all I'm going to do. And over time, if you keep on setting and reaching these 10 perform, you know, performance or consistency goals over time, great things happen. And, uh, <clears throat> but uh, that's what I think is missing is there's no reasonable goal setting and plan having for in a small period of time that will build up over a large period of time. That's what I think is missing. It drives me nuts. Some of the parts. That's like kind of like what John says. And we say it's, you know, that training system being a sum of all of those parts and all those kind of uh, the micro goals. Well, well, people also, too, they always look for, like, specific things. Like, the reason, like, uh, I don't squat well is because of this. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like, things don't really necessarily kind of grow independent yeah. like you know like but you know and then and, and then you watch a guy squat and you're like dude uh your legs aren't weak it's just the fact that you can't fucking you have such a shitty upper back that you can't support the fucking weight um you know then we then obviously we got to fucking kind of go in that direction a little bit but uh what's kind of interesting with the training and it doesn't matter if it's like five through one or what the training you want to find is that over time uh the training just really clears away the pieces and you really get to see who people are because like Everybody can do it for six weeks. Everybody can do it for maybe even fucking 12 weeks. But when you start talking about, like, 
years and like I, I love new lifters that come in and like they're like oh man I this program doesn't work I didn't set a PR and I'm like you know what I didn't set a PR uh, in the last three years uh, in fucking anything I haven't I like I've gotten weaker in my squat in the last three years and then all of a sudden my my squat went up but it didn't but I'm not stop injured. me from fucking going yeah. in there and it's like yeah I mean I've had six I'm weeks not, you yeah, I get questions all the time about, uh, dude, you know, last Friday, man, I had a tough, I just didn't get the workouts, and and what do I do? And I'm like, well, how many how many months has this gone on? Well, it went Friday. <laughs> and I, and it's like, like, uh, John made a good point. Like, I had a bad workout. Dude, I have a bad year. Yeah. <laughs> Have dude, a, have a beer and dude, uh, come dude, back on Monday. Dude, my knee was so fucked up at one point that the only thing that I could do was fucking barbell hip thrusts. It was the only thing, and um, those will actually, I'm pretty sure, give you AIDS, so I'd probably have HIV or something with it. But, uh, i got to edit that out. Yeah, well, yeah she'll, she'll, she'll put that out. But, like, literally I was, like, on the Internet being like, I, I can't fucking do anything, and the only thing I could find, I was like, you know what? So I wrapped this thing up. I mean, it crushes your pelvis, and it was terrible, but, like, it was enough to keep me going until my knee got better. And I remember being like, I was at barbell hip thrusts. That's my lowest point in life. I think, I think Jim beats you on his fused back, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I, one, I didn't know your your back was fused, and two, or that you had to do that. But uh, also, dude, fuck, man. That's um, the um, all of my buddies, and I can put you in that, that have had fucked up backs. It is uh, like the worst fucking experience of their life. I mean, dude, like they, it's just, it's like living with back pain is the worst thing ever. And every one of them that's got their back fixed is like, it was as if like I got fixed. I could have like run a fucking marathon that day. Is there after living through that fucking hell, there was, you know, when the pain went away, all of a sudden I was a normal person. Again. One of the, uh, the great things about the internet is, uh, the resounding, these, fake doctors, you know, I can fix your back, you know, all you got to do is the Stuart McGill setup and uh, all this baloney. And I understand that people shy away from surgery, but they make it sound like it's going to cure everything. And I'm, I got dragged a hundred yards down a fucking highway. Oh. No helmet, no jacket, nothing. And uh, I got some kid was fucking texting and he smashed into my motorcycle and I got fucking killed almost. I don't know how I survived. Oh, my God. These people have the audacity to tell some people. Remember, they, all their experiences is they picked up a barbell twice last year, that they can fix this or fix that. Yeah. I have a doctor tell me that the surgery will never work. <clears throat> my wife has been with me for five years now, and she was pregnant with my son when I got hit. From that point on, she could never take my thigh and, like, you know, uh, shake it because the the way that my injury was that my whole calf glutes and quads were completely tense all the time it was like living with a, the worst cramp in your body yeah. what was uh was, hour, Brad, was hour, one of the best herniated yeah it was that was one of the many things was, the, the doctor actually came in he took a look at my x-ray and he came in and started laughing he said, "How the? What is your pain tolerance like right now?" I'm like, "I don't know. I guess it's all right." He's like, "Dude, there's no way you should be fucking walking right now. None." And he's like, "I'm impressed." So to make a long story short, my wife and I, you know, the, right when I woke up from the surgery, you know, we're just watching TV, and she puts her hand on my leg, and all of a sudden my quad moves, and she's like, "You've got to be. I've never felt anything like this." And of course, everyone tells you you're gonna die from surgery. You know, it's gonna be the worst thing ever. I feel like a fucking million bucks. And, that's yeah. been, and I felt like a million bucks a week after the surgery. 
That's great. And I'm able to walk. I'm able to do it. I mean, I can't lift because I have to wait for everything to heal up, but I can do some stuff. Yeah. And uh, But I have no back pain. None. Congratulations, dude. That's phenomenal. Dude, I, I remember when you got in that accident, and I remember you, uh, like, that was after we had uh, met up, and I remember yeah. talking to you on the phone, and you were like, yeah, dude, I got fucking lit up. And uh, I, I, I didn't know that it had fucked you up that bad and that you'd have to live yeah. with it that long. Don't ever, so, like, don't did, ever did, get that road rash taken out of you, by the way. Yeah, no, I've, I've had road rash, dude. I um, fuck, uh, my jeans. Well, that's a part part about riding in jeans. I went down and fuck, dude. The jeans grabbed my fucking skin and like took it the fuck off. Uh, um, dude, did they uh, take a piece of bone out of your hip and fuse it? Did they resect it? Like, what what happened? They did. Uh, they took out part of the bone in the back, and then they obviously it's held together by a bunch of screws, and they fused part of uh, some other. It wasn't part of my hip. No, they took part of the back. So was it like L4, L5, S1? Uh, S1, L5. And I had, you know, I had spondylolisthesis. I had uh, a whole bunch of things that all kind of went away. And, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the funny, I just, I'd like to make a video or something on this, but it's not a death sentence. You know, people are like, you're never going to lift again. You know, I could eat, but by the end of the first week, I was able to do a full body weight squat with no yeah. repercussions. Now, now it's just a matter of me healing and being smart. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I can walk with a weight vest. You know, I do that to help strengthen my back and my abs and stuff like that. But you know, there's there's this uh, training. Uh, What's that? that? Uh, just uh, do you think that was a motivator? The Kind of doctors saying you will never walk again, or people no, saying never, that. Uh, no, I, you know, I don't. I, I had that kind of attitude maybe when I was like uh, in high school and college and stuff like that. But honestly, it's not. I don't. I don't want to give anyone power. You know, I want the 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 drive to come from me. And anytime, it, you know, and people like, ah, oh, you know, that girl said I'd never amount to anything. That's cool when I was, you know. Younger. No, I never, you know, I don't, any, anyone negative or anything, I just don't even give them the fucking time. Yeah, that's smart. That's I was going just... to say, there's a, there's a good training quote that uh, that I made up and I like to live by. It's, uh, patient work yields fast progress. So, maybe think, maybe think about that's that. That's pretty heady. Did you just create that? That's, <laughs> I, that's, that's I just wonderful. made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, but it's just a, uh, and it, you know, Johnny talk about doing the hip thrust and stuff. And Buddy Morris once told me, when you're hurt, you got to train what is trainable. And people are always like, dude, I fucked up my shoulder. What do I do? I'm like, I don't know. What you need to do is go on the way. What can you do? Yeah, what can you do? Yeah, what can you do? Watch your stuff, and whatever doesn't hurt, just do it like it's, like you're going, like it's your job. Yeah, exactly. It's like, dude, like my shoulder's fucked up. I can't really overhead press, so I can find the actual exact angle. Yeah, flying dumbbell that actually works for me, and you know what? That's what I fucking hammer. Yeah, on the shit out of that, and then uh, I remember when my I have uh, I tore both my shoulders. Only thing I could do was alternating dumbbell upright row. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> became the king. I was like a piston pumping those things. Wow. <laughs> uh, dude, I, I know that well. That's uh, a <laughs> that's that's one of our fucking favorites. You're just like bing, 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 bing. Um, so. sorry. Uh, as we as we kind of you know wind things down, I was just curious as to some of your plans or goals or um, things that you have on the the front of 2015. Well, we got uh, I got two books I want to get done. Uh, one is going to be 
some of the stuff that we've done uh, for the, we call it from average to athlete. And it's not about, it's not for athletes, it's about for the regular people who want to put stuff in their training that's not going to, you know, it's not horribly complex, but it allows them to get some more jumping in, some more throwing, uh, some more agility, simple agility work, and stuff that will carry over to, uh, you know, people always say, you know, this stuff doesn't uh, matter to lifting, then why, if you watch an athlete, if you teach an athlete how to do something, they pick it up much faster than the average slob. Mm-hmm. It's because they have all these tools and all these different things. And I think it's important as you get older to do some of this stuff that maybe, you know, isn't being preached by uh, Joe Powerlifter or whatever. And uh, within that, we're going to, I have so many different things I've written uh, with different templates and different ways. We have, there's probably right now 15 or 20 different 5 for one variations now that we've come up with that's totally different than a regular program. Um, got that. And then obviously, you know, personally, uh, we're going to, I guess I have, uh, me and my uh, friend Vincent Desenzo are going to do a old man meet where we do the trap bar, deadlift, safety squat bar, and the, uh, the football bar. Yes. That's <laughs> um, amazing. What a great idea. Yeah. So, uh, dude, John wants to get in on yeah. that. Those are my wheelhouses. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny cause you know, all these, uh, I love how these kids, uh, they tell you, oh, a trap bar deadlift's not a deadlift. It's like, no shit, I don't, I don't care. I'm <laughs> off the ground, and you know what? I've, I've paid my dues, and uh, this is how I want to train. We have a blast because we're always comparing different stuff, and uh, yeah. and then this summer, I'm, my band's actually going to the studio, and we're recording our uh, slab of satanic metal or whatever the hell you want to call it. So, um, does your nice. does your band have a, a website? Uh, I got a Facebook page or something. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. What's the What's the name of your band? It's called the Windlerites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's called Locust Whip. It's a play on uh, an Iron Monkey song. Cool. That was Kelly's nickname in college. Yeah. Locust Whip. <laughs> what Iron Monkey? <laughs> yeah, Iron Monkey. Yeah. Well, I would love for this to go on and on because uh, there seems to be a, a real passion for the music side. We could totally break that off into a whole nother hour-long show, it seems like. But uh, I think we, we probably need to cut it here in terms of recording, so sadly. Well, well maybe we'll have to hit up Jim and get him back on a second yeah. time, so at least we can... Uh, love to be on. Jim, we courted you for so long, and I'm so glad that you finally I just submitted. I don't, well, uh, it takes a long time to do Wendler. Yeah, you, yes. <laughs> you got to be patient to do Wendler. Yeah, thanks, thanks for slumming it with us. No, you have to understand I'm an incredibly uh, private person. I don't I don't answer my phone. I'm, I'm very, uh, I just kind of live in my own little world. It's no disrespect. I just kind of, I don't check my emails. I have like 25,000 unread emails. I just, I prefer to live like in the real world. I know it sounds really weird, but I'd make no. to to kind of stop most of the internet stuff just because I want to live a life. Yeah, absolutely. And not not just experience it through being on a computer. You want to actually live one, which is unusual, but we respect yeah, that. Fuck. <laughs> that's, that's fucking, I mean, that's such a novel thing. I'm just amazed somebody still does it. Right? I know. Well, honestly, we are, we are very grateful, and I know that our listeners are going to be super grateful to hear from you. So... Uh, thanks, thanks a ton for uh, for chatting with us for like two hours. All right, amigo, we're gonna cut it here, dude. Uh, take it easy, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Thanks a lot, Jim. All right, you guys, take it easy, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right.
Dreading Valentine's Day? Maybe it's because you have absolutely no idea what to get your sigo. Or it could be because your only plans for romance include some, quote, me time. Because, you know, you really have to, like, learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. Well, whether you want to show the old ball and chain that you care, or you're in need of the perfect peacocking ensemble, let Power Athlete help you out this Valentine's Day. Just a reminder that for one week prior to Lovas Day, we will empower you to dictate the discount amount by encouraging others to follow us on social media. For every 100 new followers, we will discount an additional 1% on all apparel through the weekend of February 14th. Give love, get savings. That's all for episode 93. Stay tuned to Power Athlete Radio in the coming weeks for our most recent interview with Rob Wolf. Bye!